I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Bolton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're reviewing Dune. The Lady of Caladan by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. This is the second book in the... Oh, geez, what are they calling this? The Caladan stories? Do you remember what the... What the <laughs> the, the yeah. label, label for this one is? Yeah. Well, Caladan Saga well, or whatever. It's, a, it's, a, it's the uh, prequel. It's a prequel to Dune, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it takes place immediately after the house books, and there is a name for this uh, for this trilogy, but I can't remember. It's something Cal, actually, Caldan stories or something. Right, um, right. So this is book two of three. Uh, in this story, we continue our focus on the family um, of the Atreides. We have the Duke, who is uh, dealing with the aftermath of a of a drug ring being run off of this planet. Uh, Jessica has been sent back to the Benny Gesserit school uh, under penalty of uh, damage to both uh, Leto and um, Paul if she does not, but she wasn't allowed to share that. So Leto thinks he's been betrayed. And Paul is dealing with the struggles of, uh, of being a young uh ducal air and kind of having to learn how to navigate that world bit by bit as uh, his family gets torn apart and that's uh that's mm-hmm. where we're at here with this one um yeah and they're just call they're just calling it the caladan trilogy oh, okay. yeah the caladan trilogy so mm-hmm. which makes sense makes yeah. sense here yeah but. So that's uh, that's a brief summary for this one. Um, it's it's very much a middle book, uh, I would say, and um, it's very much skirting the. Uh, <laughs> to me, it skirts the believability of things that could happen <laughs> in a very short period of time before uh, another <laughs> book. <laughs> so there you go. You know, I think it's one yeah. of the it's one of the complaints I've heard about the book is that it's uh, the amount of time it's put like this. The Caladan books are supposed to take place within a year prior to Dune. Well, there's a lot going on within yeah. that year, and uh, uh, really, but yeah, yeah. So, like, if you're huh. so if you're if you are, I mean, if you can step away from that. That that's the framework you're acting in. It's a really good story and a really, 
it really explains for me why we come into Dune with Jessica being at odds with the sisterhood. Um, you get the backstory and you get a little bit of her rebelliousness throughout this novel that you didn't get maybe as fleshed out elsewhere. Um, and it makes sense that, you know, bringing this in before the movie, it gives you some context for that, the, the division that's kind of between the sisterhood and her. Um, and so I like, I like this book for, for, for that reason. Um, because it gives a little bit of an explanation. Again, not that you need that. People have obviously loved and enjoyed Dune without this, but but it does give a little bit of background to that. Um, I too like, uh, you know, you mentioned the the division between Jessica and, and Leto here. This is kind of, you know, this continues then in Dune as well, the distrust of like who's the informant, who's the traitor um, when they get to Dune itself. And they're at odds. And I, and I, you know, this is again, just a further development of this distrust, even though he is kind of loyal to Jessica and vice versa, there's a sense of a wedge between the relationship here. Mm-hmm. Well, I, all right. I gotta, I gotta argue that point a little bit because I just reread Dune just right before the movie. And in that, one of the things is that, Leto never suspects Jessica and that he is very staunchly like uh, I she would never ever betray me and uh, I just have to convince everyone that I believe that and he even like tells Paul that and uh, Gurney that he's like everyone needs to think that even her needs to think that I don't trust her because uh, right what's going on right but i would never and that's what i'm and, and that's what that's what i'm getting at oh, that, okay. that appearance is there within the within the dune it's actually one of my complaints that they don't play with that in the in the movie but that's mm. a whole nother story elsewhere but yeah but yes you're right well, you're right duke leto never actually believes that but it's 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 obviously portrayed to everyone else around him right yeah well he uh leto is definitely upset with jessica and he's but but at the same time we have not resolved this story and found them getting back together and how they came to be back together again and for that for, you're, and for that you're gonna have to wait for, for heir of caladan right but there, right. There, there follows coming the out so. coming out october 18th <laughs> But but you guys are. It sounds like you guys are calling plot hole against this one. So no no, no, no. So I think we're talking two different stories. That we're talking uh, first of all. We're talking. We, we mentioned Dune and Dune. Leto <laughs> appears to uh, not trust Jessica, even though we as an audience know that he, knows that he does. Um, yeah. And we're just tying that into. In here, there's this division of distrust. It's this actual distrust. Uh, versus the pseudo distrust that you see in Dune is a little bit of a parallel. I think uh, that's all we're making. We're talking okay. two different stories yeah, here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> yeah. My wayward son. <laughs> <laughs> I guess- if only he would get the ballast out and be riding the sandworm, we would be good. Where's the loot, come, Jim? Come on, yeah. Jim? Damn it, Jim. Where's the loot? <laughs> I haven't learned how to play that song on the uh, loop. Oh, just that song. That's yeah. Okay. 
Uh, got it. Got it. I guess <laughs> if we're talking overall impressions. Um, I I don't really like this book. Um, I think I don't like this. Ooh. I don't like this series. I think that this series is the weakest series of books in the Dune books. Uh, and I think that the Caladan series is very much a prime example and the only, to me, the only true example of what everyone says they hate about the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson series. That it's not needed, that it's uh, that it tries to do too much in too little time, that it adds unnecessary things to a, an already good story. Um, I think they skirted that problem with the house books, but then they left like an appropriate amount of time for it to feel like things can calm down before Dune. Uh, but these, this is just, to me, it's too much, it's too much character change and too much and too little of a, of a time period that it, it takes away from, the characters and how they appear in Dune and how like this, one of the things about Dune is it's a very complex story that happens to uh, a, a very, not very simple, but to like a simple uh, family, like a pure family dynamic. That's not like incredibly complex. And what they've done is they've take, taken that away from Dune by making these characters so overly complex and and heavy that their their motivations just come become like muddled and to me a little bit like lessened in Dune as a result. Specifically like Leto and Jessica and even I mean I guess even Paul like it's it, it, you know that coming of age character development that happens in Dune that's so great like instead of it being like a sudden and shocking and amazing thing to be happening uh, on Arrakis, it's now been going on for years on Caladan and it's less of a like shock. Uh, and, and that, that kind of pure, uh, not pure, but that, that the very like loving and, and, and safe relationship that, that, that was kind of so different between, that Jessica and, and Leto had that was like, you know, this guy that loved his concubine so much that, that he refused to get married uh, to anyone, but couldn't marry her because he had, because of politics is now super muddy and, and just like, Oh, you know, uh, he, he, not only did he marry, almost marry someone else once, but then he looked for another wife and they had this big breakup one year before, all the things that happened on Dune and in Dune, he's so like trusting of her and they seem like such a, a unbreakable couple. Just, I don't know. I, anyway, my overall impressions were not super positive. That said, the story, if it wasn't Jessica and Leto, uh, is not a bad plot. <laughs> I'll give it that. Mm. So, well, you know, let me concede at least and agree with you at least one point here, David, is this story needed? Absolutely not. I mean, Dune has stood on its own legs for 50, 60 years now. 
Um, and so you don't need this story to tell the story of Dune. Um, and in some ways, we know we know the ending. We know where these in, in this trilogy, the Caladan series, we know where they're going to end up. So Jessica and Leto are at odds. He's searching for another woman. We know that by the beginning of Dune, that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. And so, like this whole futeless search isn't happening. Um, it does give us a little bit of background into the 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 complexity and and how the 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 Harkins the Harkonnens and the Carinos kind of line up together and how they're kind of setting up Leto to be the fall guy. We see that begin to really begin to materialize here. But is it needed? No. However, if we're going to get more books in the sandbox of the dude universe, and we're going to keep it with the characters that we've known and loved, then we're either going to go after or before the dune that that the dune books that Frank has written, right? Yeah. So, uh, and it's like a Star Wars book, like a, like when the, the expanded universe or you know the legacy books, or it's like the Star Trek books. Like none of them replace the series or the movies, and fans will argue about how accurate or how realistic this is in the time frame and the books that come between. Does this make sense? I, I get all those arguments, right? Um, and so I agree that it's not needed. But on the other hand, if I want more Dune, then that, and this is what I'm getting. This is, uh, you know, I'm not out there writing my own Dune universe. I, you know, if this is what Frank and Kevin are going to bring us, um, I'm going to read it. You know, because it's it's still good. It's still it's revisiting characters that have grown and loved, and certainly it's not near as political or complex as Frank was. But but none of none of, none of Kevin and Brian's books have ever been. They've never like they never measure up to these the uh, the the pedestal that we place Dune on. So for me, it didn't bother me, even though I know the ending. Uh, in fact, I kind of like the fact that we get a little bit of the the politic of Leto and the, and the Carino house and the Harkonnen house and, and the politic of the Bene Gesserit. We get a little bit in, uh, into that, and it certainly doesn't have the depth that Dune does, but didn't bother me. I think... I, 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 maybe I'm not getting my point across. It's not that I think... We've read 20-some of these books. This is... And a bunch of them are... This is... But there'll be 12 prequels at the end of the series and I've never felt like any of them have been you know like that whole aspect of is the story needed well maybe Paul of Dune I remember that was kind of kind of like that but um, I just think there's just not enough time for this story to happen chronologically this is I guess that's why it's hitting me so hard is this is the first time I've felt really disappointed uh in what's happening and i'm gonna you know i still read it i don't hate it by any means but it just feels weak to me especially coming off of the school books which was the last trilogy and that was like some of the best uh brian and kevin stuff that we've ever had and that was just so phenomenal and then just to come and do this story and it just felt like maybe the house books was enough and and that i didn't really need this year to be filled in and there's just a little bit too much happening um 
for me, uh, I don't know. That's sorry. I know I'm dominating here with my rant, but it just to me, it, you are the rant yeah, master. <laughs> so, it, I don't hate this book. I'm, I'm just going to say that it's just it's very mid level, and as large of a fan as I am, being mid level just hits really hard. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, first of all, the timeline, I'm a little bit confused about where where actually this is. Now, we're saying there's a year between the uh, first book and then and then the events of Dune. No, no. I feel like we're talking that the entire Kaladin trilogy takes place within a year. Yeah, and that's and and, and and that's and that's and it's right prior to Dune. And I'm not getting that because it feels to me more like about three years. Because I think in the first book of the trilogy, it was stated that Paul is 14, and my understanding is is he was 17 when they departed for Caladan. Or uh, departed for uh, Arrakis. I thought he was 15. So, Uh, you know, regardless, for me, when I read the book, I didn't feel like I, for me, I understood there was a short time, but that's not what, that didn't trip me up. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, it, for some reason, 14 and 17 are two ages that, that stand out for me. Because I think he's, se- he's 17 after um, the time jump in Dune. Like the hmm. in book three of of Dune. Where, uh, and then he takes the water of yeah. life and stuff. Huh. Well, I, I could be wrong. But <laughs> I could, you know, I'd... Uh, um, so what do we got? We got a Star Wars thing going on here with an eight-year-old kid hit, hitting on a 15-year-old girl or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Anyway, uh, I I don't have any problems with this, yeah. this saga at all. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I thought this was a great second book in the series. Um, it was definitely, I think it was intended to, and it is definitely Jessica's story. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I love the way things are fitting together and the, and the events that are leading up to the downfall of, uh, House Atreides and why the reasons why, uh, they opposed Leto. That always confused me. I never understood why everybody ganged up on him, you know, in Dune. I just kind of accepted it as a given. But now, you know, we're seeing that he was ambitious, but he wasn't ambitious enough. So, yeah. uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna set him up. And I... I love the book. I love the story. I love everything about it <laughs> myself. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Hmm. Sounds good. Well, should we talk about some characters? Sure. sure. 
Okay, in the notes, I kind of lumped them into three categories. We have the Jessica people, the Lido people, and the Baron people, and the ones that they are connected with. So, uh, works for me. Jessica, what did you guys think of Jessica and her story involving Lethia, Zora, Harishka, Mohayim, uh, and Tool? Is it me, or every time we, we check in with the Benny Jesuits, like, is there always one of them getting ready to betray the, the like whole group? Yeah, yeah, no, yes. pretty much. <laughs> kind of feels like a trope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you right. got the Benny Jesuit? Oh, yeah, well, one of them will betray them eventually. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. Ben. Well, you know. It's it's. <laughs> I mean, you continue to see the power of the voice, yeah. right? In this, well, more than anything, you, know? you see the power of yeah. voice on themselves. Like, I really like the story of the right. uh, of the the what they call the the breeding mother or whatever the the one that was sick. Yeah. And she was like they were they wouldn't let her die. I I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was Lethia. Yeah, yeah, Lethia. One scary individual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and and they want they want to, and she's hollering for Jessica, and so Jessica goes to see her. Um, oh gosh, I'm telling you, um, you have you have to really have some moxie to go in there when when that old lady's got the record she's got. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and with 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 the the sisterhood itself, I I just I just always think of the song, "Why can't we be friends?" <laughs> Why can't I mean they're all they're all supposed to be working for the same thing. You know what I mean? But but it just seems like there's always some problem. Well, so like you know the, the the phrase or something rotten in Denmark, right? There's there's this there's this from the get go from when you're first introduced to the the sister, and even in the other prequel books, and and certainly the limited that we get the limited stuff that we get from Frank Herbert, they're conniving and manipulative, and yes, they're working toward an end. But if you're gonna be that way toward other people and trying to get the Quizox Haderach in the breeding program. That's going to also infiltrate and be a part of your little sisterhood society. And I mean, there's no wonder that Jessica's a bit rebellious toward them. I mean, you know, they they have not been the most forthright and straight up people throughout the books. Yeah, yeah. There's always something going on. You know, it's uh, and you've got one in particular that goes around stirring everything up and that is Helen Gaius Mohayim or Gaius Helen Mohayim or you know um the the emperor's truth sayer she's she just likes to be at the center of turmoil she does yeah. the neighborhood gossip <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Zo now there's Zora who gets sent to she is supposed to go and become uh, Leto's new concubine, and that doesn't work out, as as we'll discuss. 
Um, but she, that's her specialty, I guess. I, I guess the sisters all have their own little specialty where that they, that they perform the best in. <laughs> and the Zora, she's a, she's a seductress, I guess. Yeah. I guess there's like, yeah. A- and then Jessica, if they'd have changed the name to like Xena, maybe that would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> I like the re- well, then she'd be a warrior princess. Yeah, I know. I like the reveal that she's <laughs> like one of the reasons that she'll do well is, or they expect her to do well is she's Jessica's sister and she looks like, like her. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting reveal. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and we get to the political stuff with Leto, Shaddam, Paul, Fenry, you know, all those guys. Leto has gotten ambitious all of a sudden. He was He's always been just happy kind of sitting on Caladan, going fishing and hanging out with his friends and, and everything. And now he's decided he wants to be a big player in the, in the Imperium. And that's not working out for him too well. And this is one of those things that, as you look at Leto from the Dune books on, you know, the main Dune book, you certainly don't see this sort of ambition. Like, this almost seems like a a midlife crisis that he's going through. Uh, let me get ambitious and try to rise in the political power. So let me, you know, entertain marrying someone of royal blood. Um and uh, it, it, this, this perhaps in some ways does seem out of character for the Lido that we eventually know. Mm-hmm. It, it is. That definitely and, midlife you know, crisis. Well, and, and we find out that, that the, the player that he's aspiring to be doesn't really work for him. Right. Right. In the story, we find that out. We get a little bit of we get a little bit of background though on Yui. Yeah, that's interesting. That was fleshed out a little bit. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting to see to like to, to learn more about his uh dynamic with his wife and the whole idea that she was called away by the Benny Chesert years and years ago and just didn't get any contact but never never lost the love for her or as opposed mm-hmm. to the duke you know in contrast later was like whatever she got called away she doesn't love me or she would have stayed here and that kind of thing yeah that see that my impression was it is that uh the Har- harkonnens grabbed her and then turned around and said okay you help us with this or we're gonna kill your wife and it was you know it was a done and done thing but apparently that kind of drug out a little bit longer than we thought. Yeah. So and what about what about Paul? Okay. Was was he not a natural step in for Duke Leto? At the tender age of whatever it is, fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really steps up to the plate, but they do make a lot of contrast to how uh, you know, it was the same, uh, same thing that happened to Leto when Paulus died. You know, they, they were around the same uh-huh. age. So, yeah, but Paul was 
I I kind of admired the kid. <laughs> he was he was taking charge and he was doing he was doing the job. You know, and and he ran into a couple things he couldn't handle that he he just didn't know which way to go. But um that's why you got Dunky Duncan uh, Gurney and Pooper. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Dunky. Yeah. So Jim, can you imagine any of your 14/15-year-olds, you know, stepping into run a uh empire oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> you know it's just <sighs> yeah so you, you compare it it's like yeah a lot of maturity well in a lot of ways he's been kind of prepped for that i mean i know in the last book they were exploring his training regarding that um i david this is a question for you since you read the book most recently this sort of presence that we see in paul does this line up with the way we encounter him at the beginning of the Dune book? Um, in the beginning of the Dune book, it's mostly that he's having the, the dreams about uh, Johnny, but I, I don't think that it, everyone knows about it. Like everyone seems to know about it here in, in this part of the story. It seemed, but in Dune, it's like a much more muted thing where it's kind of put away as like a, a child just having dreams where uh everyone in here just seems to kind of like oh oh yeah paul's having paul's dreams like paul paul sees things in his dreams you know especially with the uh, uh duncan being so involved so i i mm-hmm. i don't feel like it really goes against it but at the same time it, i don't think it's really spelled out as much in in dune Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're trying, you know, uh, you know, Lido is uh shopping Paul around and he's he's he has a particular girl in mind and so Duncan takes him out and they're looking for this girl and she's nowhere to be found at least not on Caladan. Right. So kind of throws everybody off a little bit. Now we've got the Baron, of course, Raban and Fade, and uh, these guys are hoarding spice like crazy, <laughs> and um, no surprise there. No, I'm telling you, it, you know, and I didn't realize how much they were trying to get away with, but um, the Baron, he goes and he sets a contest. Oh yeah. Between Raban and Fate, which causes a whole lot of chaos. We'll get we'll probably we'll That's get into a, that in a little bit. That was an exciting part though. Yes. So. Well, should we just sure. jump right into the story point? Sure. All right. I will I, I'll read it and if there's anywhere at, at some point you want to stop and discuss, just go ahead and say I, I also broke it up in the same way uh, as I did the characters. So Jessica has been recalled to Wallach 9 and is being held prisoner. Uh, She is also to face Lethia, who is dying and has many secrets the Sisterhood wants. Jessica is charged with learning those secrets, and Lethica has declared Jessica and Paul to be dangerous. Okay, After Lethia dies, taking her secrets with her, Jessica is sent to the to be the concubine of Viscount Tool on Elegy. 
Her assignment is to try to convince Tool to resume sending money to the sisters as his father did. Uh, Zora is sent to Caladan to become the concubine of Leto, and with the help of Tool, Jessica secretly gets to go to Caladan to warn Paul to be on his guard. <laughs> After you read that, I'm like, and welcome to the days of our lives. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what, Absolutely. What is, what is Dune but one huge giant soap opera? Exactly. With and, spice. With spice. <laughs> with spice yeah. and science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, it's our kind of soap opera. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, I was kind of uh, surprised with the the Viscount because he he didn't he doesn't trust the sisterhood. He doesn't like the sisterhood. He cut off their funding, so they're going to throw Jessica in front of him, and uh, you know, and she can't even hardly move him. But by golly, he's willing to help her out and treat her respectfully. And uh, you know, as long as as long as she doesn't put a knife in him, uh, everything is pretty cool. Well, so for me, that goes alongside of what you said. He doesn't trust the sisterhood. If if her aims are, you know, to kind of destabilize the sisterhood, and Jessica is going to warn Paul, that's obviously not what the sisterhood wants. They kind of they're. Uh, two goals here kind of line up at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's a neat part of the well, story. Okay. Uh, no, so really. I, now I, we go I on to Duke Leto. We kind of covered it. Uh, did you have any comments, David, on that? Okay. All right. So, Duke Leto goes to Kaitane to become more influential in the Imperium. He is challenged to a duel uh, from Lord Attic. Leto has no choice in the matter, yeah. but before the duel takes place, Attic is killed from being poisoned. How okay? convenient. Leto, yeah, really. Now, <laughs> Leto is blamed and seen by many as a coward. All right. <laughs> Nobody calls Duke Leto a coward. Them's fighting words, in my mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just right, saying. right, right. All right. Kind of like you, you don't tell Marty McFly, you don't call him chicken. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Fenring arranges a meeting for a potential wife for Leto. Leto has dinner with Vika. Uh, Vika Londine, and the meeting is pleasant, and Leto doesn't dislike her. Uh, he seems amenable to the idea of a match between the between him and her, but uh, Fenring adds that Leto must ruin her father, Rajiv, before arrangements can move forward. All right, so in other words, we got Fenring running around here, and he's, you know, it looks like it looks kind of like that Leto's open to it, but there's a fly in the ointment, and yeah. in order for you to move forward, you're going to have to do this. And and Leto's not having any part of it. Yeah. All right, so Leto is, you know, with this, Leto has had enough of these little political games and decides to leave and go home to Caladan. 
And uh, during his absence from Caladan, Paul has been acting Duke and has done well. Alito decides he will try another path to curry favor with Shaddam by infiltrating Jackson Aru's rebellion and exposing it from within. He sends Gurney to Kaitane with a message for Shaddam and uh, joins Aru. Uh, but <laughs> poor Gurney, he doesn't uh, he doesn't quite get there. I, yeah. I, I thought this was like the, the where the book got most interesting to me this the the whole like drug thing on caldan um seemed like a bit much but but as for what was happening with the duke but this whole story of him going undercover i found much more compelling and much more like oh this this is the perfect reason for why leda would would wind up getting a lot more favor in the lanzarad uh, yeah, well, it, it's huge to me mm-hmm. uh, that Leto is going to do this. All right, he is going to actually uh, join with the arch enemy of Shaddam. And well, hey, Gurney, you take this note. You take this note to uh, Shaddam and and show it to him so he knows what I'm doing. And he doesn't make it there. Yeah. <laughs> you know so this is a this is the linchpin that is going to end Leto. I mean it is that's the end. Right. He is he will be condemned. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sets up from what we know about the fact that the emperor and the Harkonnens are leagued to, together to kind of end him. This is kind of what's setting it up. Yeah. So. so it's just oh gosh, I'm telling you that this was probably the best part of the book. Yeah. So and this this wasn't too far behind. The Baron is stockpiling huge amounts of spice on Arrakis in a secret facility. He uh he has it smuggled to various people and is making huge profits. Okay. He challenges Rabon and Fade to hurt House Atreides in some way to prove their worthiness of becoming the next Baron. So he ta- he takes his the the those two and puts them against each other to compete uh, for for their position. Okay, uh, Raban obtains a blight that cripples the Moonfish industry, one of the main in- industries of Caladan, and kills them all off and i guess everybody in the uh imperium is going to be very upset because they don't get moonfish are they that good <laughs> i don't know tastes like tastes like chicken well everyone there must everyone be. seems to be like oh, okay <laughs> guess there's no more moonfish you're right yeah but here's the thing fenring has invested heavily in the caladan industry and is incensed when he has learned he has lost all his money. So, <laughs> yee, I'm telling you. Now, who is who is Fendering going to blame? Is he going to blame the people on Caladan? Is he going to blame the Harkonnens? And, and which way is he going to come down? Because we know that Fendering is very 
Um, he's ruthless. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I, I, how believable did you find the whole idea that Fennering wanted to mold Leto into his like minion? Did, did you like that? I, I, yes, I did. Um, I can certainly see him doing something like that. Um, Leto was, was becoming ambitious. He's very popular. He's very well liked, or at least he was until the Caladan drug came <laughs> out. But, you know, nobody had, he, he, Leto didn't hurt anybody. And so, you know, he, he might see himself in line for the throne somehow, and Fenring might see it that way too. And with Fenring's influence, it could very well happen. Yeah. I thought, I thought so, it was an interesting twist. Uh, yeah. Fenring is like, to me, he's kind of like Martin Borman, uh, the Nazi, okay. who who was very, very powerful, but didn't want exposure. He didn't want people to know who or what he did. He he just wanted the power, He but he didn't care about the fame. Mm. Yeah, no, I hear you. So, yeah. Now, Fade chooses to attack uh, through the use of a rogue, rogue swordmaster that he gets and tests. And I thought the entire testing process for this uh, swordmaster <laughs> was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, uh, the swordmaster heads to Kaladin and kills Zora, mistaking her for Jessica. <laughs> that was brutal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought so, it was a cool story of seeing another swordmaster. Well, he wasn't even a real swordmaster. He was a uh like a what is was a failed guy or something who the school had closed. Something like that. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the spice facility has to be scuttled. This is the Baron's spice facility when it is exposed and a very angry Fenring comes calling. <laughs> okay. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Gurney is intercepted on his way to Kaitain and the message he carries will not be delivered. Instead, the Baron will use it to cause Leto to fall out of any favor in the court. So again, yep. Mm-hmm. And Jackson Aru continues to commit acts of sabotage against Shaddam. And that's where we leave this one. Right. Yep. Well, Jackson Aru had all that facial surgery and stuff, and he tries to bring the, like, the Talaxuer kind of with him. And, uh, he's got kind of an interesting thing going on. I was going to just say that Jackson Aru for me is one of my favorite characters. I, my, not favorite. Uh, most interesting new characters that we meet. Mm. We, of course, have mm -hmm. Paul, Jessica, Leto, and all the normal rascals running around Dune. But Jackson Aru, even in the last book, was interesting as a character. And so, so to see that continue, I find him almost the most fascinating character of the story. Yeah. Well, he's he's going head to head with uh, with Shaddam, 
and uh, <laughs> and becoming quite the little irritant, you know, that the way he had that ship blow up that was show, supposed to show Shaddam's benevolence and drop money all over everybody, and instead it blows up and takes out a bunch of people and things, and, you know, uh, he wrecks the library, and it's just, oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, he's an interesting character. Yeah, for sure. Well, so anyway, it, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, he's, he, no, I was he, just gonna say he has no like regard for the the. It's such a weird thing is how he wants this change for the people in the Imperium, but he's willing to just like do away with the people to make a point. At the same time, with his uh-huh. with his explosions and and stuff, it's it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, that's very true. He's uh, he's almost seeming like he wants to become the person everybody loves to hate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he sure got Shaddam's attention. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm going to hand it off to you, Scott, for favorite points. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I think we talked a lot about our favorite points already. Um, David, did you, uh, what was your favorite points or points of plot here? Um, I think the part that I got most invested in was was when uh, Leto decided to and decided to and then started implementing the plan to go undercover. I, uh, that's where I was like, okay, like I really am, am enjoying this, this turn and this, this, uh, line of events here. Um, I also really liked everything with, uh, Lithea, um, where she was not everything, but, but like all the parts where they obviously were building up to her doing something to the people who were in the room with her and just kind of like, the, you know, having her smash the girl's head on the wall, or, or the girl like she was through. She was on the other side of glass, and she manipulated her to only be able to think the uh, litany against fear. Fear, and that was the only thing that she could think or say anymore. Like I just, mm. I thought that was like, even though they were kind of like brutal p- moments, uh, just really interesting the way that she kind of did things, and even in her death, she her message was still very cryptic uh, as to what it meant. You know, it said, what kill or Jessica must die or, or what did it say? Die Jessica or something like that. But it could have been taken like two different ways. And uh, yeah, I thought that, I thought that her stuff was really nice. And so those are my favorite two plots, plot points. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Certainly, that those were some brutal moments. That you know, the girl dashing her head out against the wall, and yeah, that is for sure. Like that's one of those moments I'm like cringing when I read it. But <laughs> uh, Jim, how about you? Uh, what's uh, for you? What was a favorite point or favorite points of plot? Well, I'll tell you what. If Duke Leto wasn't a Klingon, he should have been. <laughs> uh, I I'll tell you what my I've always held this guy and Vorian Atreides and Paulus Atreides I've always held them on a pedestal 
in admiration for their sense of personal honor. And when, when Leto turned around and said, you know, with all this crap you guys are, have going on with each other, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go back to Caladan and go fishing and have drinks with the guys. And <laughs> I'm done with this. I, I don't even know why I thought I wanted to have these ambitions. And he, and he just walks away from it. Uh, you know, again, it just, it just upholds my view of house Atreides as being a very honorable thing. So, yeah, I think if you're yeah. going to complain about the Duke at all, it's the fact that he chooses, at least apparently, to seek ambition uh, in this book. And um, yeah, and uh, and and when that happened, it's it kind of disregards the relationship that we love between him and Jessica. He kind of, you know, says, "Well, for a political gain, we're going to put this aside, and." Um, this could potentially disinherit Paul. I mean, there's a thousand and one things happening, right? Um, that's probably mm -hmm. the thing that, you know, I like least about Leto, but you know, in the end he kind of says, well, that's really not me. And he, he steps back from it. So, well, he almost seems naive. Mm, and yeah, when, when, you know, he, he just, you know, I want to be a big wheel now. Uh, you know, I'm tired of messing around and, I'm going to become a big wheel. And then when he sees what he has to do to become that, it's like, no, I ain't doing this. Which is interesting. <laughs> this is not that, and that's interesting to me because certainly Duke Leto has been around the Imperium long enough to know these sorts of things happen. And he's not that isolated. Um, mm -hmm. And in some ways, he almost becomes the teenager and paul becomes the adult here you know i want to be you know a big man and, and, and i want to be a big man in the big sea right um and uh, paul's like being thrust into that role and, and actually being asked to fulfill the role of a duke and doing it fairly well for a you know someone his age so it's kind of a little bit of a role reversal here in father and son mm -hmm. yeah uh, and then for me, like um, I think the the thing that I, my favorite point is, I I love the distrust between Lady Jessica and Duke Leto here, as far as you know, we have the in a sense almost a real distrust to some degree, um, uh, but we know that by the time Dune rolls around, that there's a committed relationship, something solid that's driving them together. So it's going to be interesting to see in an in, heir in of Caladan, how that's going to solidify and make it mm -hmm. so that their relationship is rock tight. So we are getting the relationship we get at in, in Dune itself. Um, and that way, and that way we know without a doubt that when the farce goes on, at Arrakis and the Duke's pretending not to trust Jessica, we know without a doubt that that's a farce. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I think that that is, um, I, I, I like that. I like that as a part of it. And I uh, also like the, the, the complicated relationship Jessica has with the Bene Gesserits. 
So. Mm-hmm. Well, she's flat made them mad by doing not doing what they told her to do. <laughs> what? What? <You know. laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, is you know, they're saying, oh, you know, uh, Mohayim says, you you were trying to create the Kwisatz Haderach and, you know, blah, 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 and you're not supposed to do that. And that's not at all what Jessica was doing. Right. The Duke the Duke wanted a son, and so she gave him a son. Right. Because she Simple loves him. Simple as that. Right. It was. D- bottom line. and But no, everybody's going to read all this other stuff into it and mess everything up. <laughs> yeah, I have, my hero. I, I have a question for you yeah. right there. How aware? Uh, obviously, the the sisters that were high up in the breeding program knew the bloodlines and knew like who was playing what. A sister like Jessica, how much was she in the know as to where the breeding program was at, and uh, and how that was all playing out? Was she kind of? I forget. Was she kind of like? Not in the know here. I don't. Who? Is that she was not in the know until she was chastised about it. And see, and, that was my impression too. Yeah, that it was kind of like the Kuzak Hadarak was uh, was almost like a mythical type of objective, um, and and that she when she was accused of it she was like some people think it's you know some people think he, he might already be here we don't know maybe you know it's just a, a big mystery thing but this book makes it seem like a very uh concrete every all the sisters know type thing there, there is well yeah. there is certainly when you get to do and there's a question like is he is he is he there seems to be this uncertainty that doesn't seem quite that seems to be different than what we're seeing in Lady Caladan. Right. And I think it, this is a little contrary to what I remember from a lot of the other books too is that um uh, the other prequels uh that they make it very apparent that the the sisterhood has many possible Quizakataraks out there. Uh even uh Fenring was uh failed right mm-hmm. so it's you know there's a lot in this they make it seem like uh paul is the definitive only one out there but i remember in the other books they were almost like well he could be but you know so could all these other lines that we had and we just right. had a, a really good plan to use your daughter and now we can't anymore because you had a son instead well was yeah wasn't fade supposed to be also no uh yeah. Jessica's daughter was supposed to marry Fade, and then their child was supposed to be the Kwisak Haderach. Right. Ah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, when Neo goes to see the Oracle, and there's all these other people, all these other kids that could potentially be the one. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like these are all these these are all the potential Kwisak Haderachs and. Uh, yeah, or Anakin was supposed to be the um, bringing together the Force and and saving the galaxy. Yeah. The, it's a trope. It yeah. is. It so. is. It is. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Well, that's it for my points of the plot. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to uh, quotes uh, and such. Um, do you guys come up with any any favorite quotes off of this one? I have one. I I did. <laughs> I came up with one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jim. And uh, is one of the, one of the epigraphs um, a Fremen aphorism? Even if we gouge out our eyes, we cannot unsee the truth. Even if we cut out our tongues, we cannot unspeak the truth. The truth is permanent. I like that. I like that. Yes. Um, What do you have, Scott? I said, uh, what is the purpose of finding a middle ground when one side is objectively right and the other is completely wrong? Reverend Mother Cordana on the Lady Mm. Caliban. I have one. And I picked this one because it was... uh, it reminds me of a uh, another famous quote, but it goes in a different way, and you'll probably pick up on it pretty quickly here. To do a thing or not to do a thing, each path involves risk. And that's a conclusion of the guilt bank. Stop. And it just reminded me of Yoda. Uh, you know, do or do not. Or, or, there is no there try. There is no try, yeah. Or try, yeah, do or do not, there is no try. But this is just like, Saying the same thing, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have to deal with your consequences, whether or not you take action or not. So, right, yeah, yeah. So, yep, very good. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on to closing thoughts then. Um, let's start with you, Scott. What did you think of this book, and and, and what are the rating? Where, where do you kind of stand at the end here? Uh, so this is out of a five point rating, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give this book a, a solid four, um, maybe a 4.5 even, but I let's go with four. I like four. It was a good book, certainly not a book that you would tell someone to just leap into uh, without reading the Paul Dune, the, the uh, Paul Caladan or whatever the first book was called, which I can't remember right now. Uh, but it, certainly... Um, it suffers in some ways, and I say that very generously, that suffers from being a middle book. Um, but it gives some context for the Jessica we know and the relationship with the Benny Jesuit that we get in Dune. And so for me, this is a solid run, and and I'm loving the Caladan series so far, and I can't wait to read Arrow Caladan. And so four out of five for me. Jim, how about you? I'm I'm going with a five. I mean, wow. I I enjoyed it so much. I appreciated it a lot. I thought it was uh, an above average second book in a series. Um, usually, second books can be can be good. They can be okay. Sometimes they're not too great at all. But in this case, I thought it was fine. So yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it that much. It was that entertaining. I just ripped through it too. Good, <laughs> good. I, uh, I, you know, I kind of said before I didn't really. I don't hate this book. I just don't like it. I just, I mean, well, it's even harsh too. Like, I, I, it just <laughs> didn't feel needed. Didn't feel wanted by me. I, I it, it was just a disappointment all around. And I, I want to, I want to give a quote. <laughs> 
from the new season of Discovery, uh, Star Trek Discovery, that I think fits uh, the what they're doing with the characters here is they want to they don't want them to be boring and, and one noted, so they're trying to like swing them back and forth in, in these in these issues, but uh, of like in problems that they're having. Uh, the quote is, uh, "You're like a pendulum, but with your actions." but it doesn't take much for a pendulum to become a wrecking ball. And I feel like that's kind of what they're doing with the story <laughs> here is they're swinging the pendulum back and forth with these characters. But for me, it's kind of becoming a wrecking ball and ruining the characters a little bit. So, um, but that brings our overall rating. Cause I'm going to give it a 2.5 because I, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it's middle grade, like fully a three because I think it's just under like, okay for me it's a little bit less than okay um and honestly honestly if i'm t- you know I, I i really do because of our experience try and push people to read the books chronologically and they're going to keep adding adding to them so it's like well now there's kind of 12 books before you get to do it <laughs> but uh, i almost kind of feel like just being like you could skip this this trilogy and be fine. I would still recommend reading the house books because I think they do add uh, a nice uh, portion to the to the series. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with Eric Dune. Maybe that that book will rock my world. But that book's going to be fully focused on Paul, and I think that's going to bother me even more in making him and changing his character right before Dune, where he's supposed to be so innocent and and. Uh, non-exposed to the world uh so anyway oh you just can't make the rant master happy i know it's not true it's not true <laughs> i'm just Sometimes i am just kidding real. i'm just kidding <laughs> so but, our, our overall but at least at least our hey david at least our overall rating is agreeing with goodreads yeah it comes to 3.83 and goodreads is currently sitting at a 3.94 so yep. we're pretty, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty in tune there. We're not, you know, thankfully to me, we're not loving it too much. So you can't attack us for that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you are uh, loving it too much. but Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, if you are listening to this, we have another podcast and it's called The Orbital Sword. And over there we review... Uh, fantasy and sci-fi usually on a rotating basis um and uh you know we put a couple of those out every year our next one that we're looking to record will probably be in january of 2022 and the book that we're looking to read is ravenwood by nathan lowell so if you like uh fantasy and if you like sci-fi please join us over on the orbital sword for more book reviews uh we'd also love to hear from you over there uh about stuff now as far as dune goes eventually here uh once uh once it comes out on home uh video and stuff we'll probably be reviewing the movie dune um we also have the graphic novels that we could probably take a look at if people are interested in that let us know you can contact us at uh dune saga podcast at gmail.com um if you want to write in at all of course we want to thank everyone who in the past has supported us on patreon or hit us up uh, at Dune Saga Podcast on Twitter. If you want to be a part of the show, again, Dune Saga Podcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail at 1260 577 chat. That's 1260 
577-2428. So I think that about brings us to the end here. Uh, anything um, else I'm missing, be, be, guys? Yeah, I just wanted to put a plug in for Nathan Lull because um, I, you know, I have not read this series, but I was, he had me hook, line, and sinker with the Quartermaster series. And we had a chance. Um, as some of you who've listened to the show know that I'm part of a podcast called the Sunhead Diner Podcast. And year, a couple of years ago, we sat down with Nathan Lowell. What a fantastic man to chat with. That was way more, way more than a couple of years ago, Scott. Oh, say, okay. Uh, for me, it was only a few years ago. But, you know, the quarter, like, what a fantastic series just to have, just to read. And so, Definitely check it. I'm assuming, guys, that we're releasing this also in the Orbital Sword feed, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was the plan here. So it was definitely, it definitely, it definitely worked. So uh, well, high props. Let, let, me, let me tell you what kind of person Nathan Lowell is. I have not had the pleasure of meeting him in person. I do communicate with him occasionally on, on uh, Facebook, but now I've got another friend that goes down to. Uh, Denver, and and hawks his books, and he knows Nathan Lowell. And I said, you know what? What I'd like you to do is, is I gave Bruce, his name is Bruce, I gave Bruce 20 bucks, and I said, I want you to go down there and get the very first of the uh, Golden Age of the Solar Clipper book, and I want it autographed by Nathan Lowell. What I got back was every book that had been published up to that point. So I got like almost, I got like nine books, all of them autographed, and I got my 20 bucks back. Wow. <laughs> That's wow. awesome. That's, That's so awesome. Cool. That is, that is the kind of person that Nathan Lowell is. He loves what he does and he loves his fans. Yep. So, uh, yeah. And and I'll tell you what the guy writes like nobody's business. Yeah. It is so fun to read his stuff. Yeah. Well, now I'm yeah, getting. Uh, I'm not. I'm I'm a newbie. So yeah. Oh, well, I'm looking forward uh, to he, reading this book. Well, you guys know J.P. Harvey, right? Yeah, yeah. I do. Okay, well, J.P. He put me onto these books, and. Uh, I'm hooked. I've read every darn one of them, and I'll read every one that comes out. <laughs> Absolutely, because they're, they're they're awesome. Yeah. So very good. Anyway, I think that's about it for me, though. Cool. All right. Well, once again for the Dune Saga podcast, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog, and I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulud clear the path before you.